Well, good morning. Well, saints, how you doing? Sinners, how you doing? Someone said better. <laughs> oh, you could read that in a couple of different ways. Aye, aye, aye. Um, it's hard to believe that a year ago, that a year ago from, um, let's see, today is the ninth. Yeah, it was just about literally a year ago. Uh, that I resigned from my former church and was frantically running around trying to make moving arrangements, find a place to live, pack up our home and move to South Florida, a place that I swore to God I would never move to. <laughs> I'm not singling out South Florida. In seminary, I, at graduation, I said, God, send me anywhere but a, a large church on an associate pastor, and God forbid, don't send me to Florida. And I've done all of those. And so God, God has always got a great sense of humor. Um, but last, last Christmas was rather frenetic, to say the very least. And it was frenetic for several reasons. Uh, I'll be honest, it was not like any Christmas that Kelly or I have ever had before, nor I hope to ever have again. Um, everyone was preparing for Christmas through Advent last year, shopping and decorating and going to parties and get-togethers and all the multitude of church events. Um, we weren't. See, in order to get down to Fort Lauderdale and start by January 15th this, this year, I had to resign my position as senior pastor at the uh, First Pres de Land uh, that very first Sunday in Advent. And that decision posed two significant challenges for me. One, um, it was not a decision that was met very well with a lot of, hey, great! And Kelly and I became pretty isolated pretty quick. But on the other hand, it took us out of our faith community. Because I could not, I didn't want to be a lame duck pastor there on Christmas Eve and say, and he is born, isn't that super? Bye. You know, that just would not have been a good way to end. So I had to leave at the very beginning of Advent. Uh, so it really took us out of our faith community. It took us out of the events of church. And for the first time in all of my ordained ministry of 30-something years, um, I didn't have a church to go to at Christmas. I had to stay away. In the midst of that spiritual and communal sense of separation that Kelly and I were feeling, uh, Kelly went into congestive heart failure at the same time in mid-December last year. She was miserable. Coughing, trying to cut a breath, feeling tired. While everyone, out was, everyone else was out doing their Christmas thing, I was becoming intimate with U-Haul boxes and packing tape and trips to Walgreens getting medication for my wife. There were no decorations in the house last year. No crash, no candles. No gifts were exchanged. No stockings were put up. There was no Christmas tree. Christmas Eve, for the first time in my ministry, was spent at home. And I was sitting on the edge of the bathtub, beating my wife's back to help her breathe. 
and cough. Preparations were different last year for us. And in that four weeks of preparation, as we went through Advent, it was both emotionally and physically something we had never experienced before. In retrospect, as difficult as it was, it probably was the most profound Advent that we had ever had. And one of the most profound Christmases we've ever had because it gave us a glimpse into what is really important. What we discovered, it wasn't about the stuff. It was about each other. It was about relationship with each other. Kelly and I realized what many older people and retired people understand, that Christmas isn't about gifts and glitz. It's about relationships. You don't need another pair of socks. You don't need another drill. You don't need another tie. What you need is a relationship that matters. This is exactly what our text from the Gospel of Luke talks about today. It's about relationship. It's about preparing on the thing that has the highest priority in this Advent and Christmas time. It's about this relationship of God doggedly pursuing you and me in this intimate love affair. In today's scripture, we are going to be introduced to Jesus' cousin, you know, John. That John. You know, the Baptist. Jesus' Aunt Elizabeth and Uncle Zechariah had committed John to God and, and as John grew up, it, many believed that he went to a place called Qumran, which is this little spiritual community up on the high banks, western banks of uh, the Sea of Jordan, moving down towards the Dead Sea. Some, you may have re- heard of Qumran by some shepherd boy following into a little cave to get a sheep, and he came out with biblical scrolls. This was the community that many believe John was a part of. It was originally a a religious community that set itself apart from everybody else because they wanted to focus on spiritual purity. They wanted to be uh, obedient to God and make sure they were ready for the Messiah's return. And John, in his community of Qumran, was about getting prepared. But now we find that John has come out of that community and is wandering in the wilderness and John is talking about Messiah is coming. Let's hear the text. Listen to the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, In the wilderness. 
Now John went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, specifically from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight. The rough ways will be made smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. My friends, that is the good news of the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Really? Thanks be to God. You see, that's, what, that's part of the challenge of getting prepared. As we hear these words of John the Baptist and we quickly draw up in our mind this caricature of what we have heard and expect John the Baptist to be like. That we expect John to be a grumpy religious fundamentalist who is all about scaring people into heaven. Turn or burn. And sadly, today's text doesn't paint that. Today's text doesn't paint a picture of this nasty, grumpy guy. John is not declaring a bad news, dour message. It is good news, beloved. You see, the people of the first century, when they heard these words of John, when they were hearing those words repeated back from that wonderful song in Isaiah chapter 40, they would hear good news. They would hear exciting news. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, it's good stuff. You see, the people in the first century would hear that quote from Isaiah 40, and they would know that that specific quote was about God declaring that the time of exile, the time of warfare between Israel and and the people around her, and Israel, and God, that time was over. The words from Isaiah 40 were quoting literally a liberation song that the Jews knew and had learned deep in their hearts that when the call to prepare the way of the Lord was heard and made, that meant the King, the Messiah, the Deliverer was coming at hand. That's great news. That's not bad news. Their Lord, they sang, was coming back to restore relationship with them again, with the people of Israel. This was grand news. Their preparations were designed to to facilitate this homecoming, this welcoming, reconciling relationship with God's Messiah. You see, this is the whole thing. They were to go out and make the roads, roadway straight. They were to clean it up. They were to make it so it was presentable for the coming, returning Messiah to come back to the city of peace, Jerusalem. And I love how Luke, as a writer, places us... Well, he, he writes his story not like once upon a time there was... But if you note in Luke, the way he crafts his gospel, it's very time-focused. It is very time-bound and historical. And he does this with great specificity. 
The people that he mentions in our story today puts this writing at around year 29 to 30. Okay? So Jesus was just becoming into his own. 29 and 30. Now, it would be as though Luke were writing a story to us today. It would be like him saying, with Donald Trump and Mike Pence, they were president and vice president of the United States. Ron DeSantis was governor of Florida. Rick Scott and Marco Rubio were senators. And Francis was the pope in the Catholic Church. And Chris Binnick was the moderator of the Presbytery of Central Florida. That's how specific Luke is getting. He wants us to know this wasn't a once upon a time. This was a specific reality. And all of a sudden, a country preacher from the middle of nowhere began to say, get ready, God's moving back into the neighborhood, folks. Now Luke places himself And Jesus is coming smack dab in the middle of our human history. He's not coming with some Arnold Schwarzenegger tone of voice from the Terminator. I'll be back. On the contrary, John is more like Laura Ingalls from the Little House of the Prairie. Yelling to her siblings, hurry, hurry, Paul's back. John's tone is excited. It's resounding good news to his Jewish audience. We're going to restore relationship with our king. Now, well, for most of his audience anyway, it was good news. There were some in their audience that were not liking this whole idea of making preparations for the Messiah's return. Quite frankly, that meant that they would have to live a little bit differently. They would have to treat people differently. It's like I remember when, when I was in high school, we played football. The football team acts and behaves one way when the coaches aren't on the field paying attention to the players. But I tell you what, the coach, Coach Mangan came back on the field and started eyeing us. Boy, we were on it. We were sharp. We were focused. We weren't sloppy. We weren't playing around. When coach was on board, when coach was present, we acted differently. When Messiah returns, when the king, the deliverer returns, it's going to mean I'm going to have to act a little differently. That means I'm going to have to relate to the Messiah differently in a new way I've never done before. It means I've got to relate to people like you, my neighbors, in a whole different way than I've never had to relate to before. You see, there were some people in Jesus' day They kind of liked the pecking order of the world. They liked the prestige that they had. They liked the power that they had. They liked having the fancy seats wherever they ate or worshipped. But you know, they sure didn't want someone coming along that had a higher status than them stirring the pudding, messing up the status quo. God forbid that ever happened, huh? And yet this is what John is declaring. All flesh, he says, will see salvation. All flesh will see the healing wholeness of the Lord God. Everything changes, in other words, beloved, from the social structure and the status 
of what society says is important and what the Lord says is important and what is not. God has come back home to reimagine, to revitalize relationship with God's people once more. And John's message, man, it's, it's a message of, wow, let's clean up the house. The Lord's coming. And we want to entertain them in the best possible light. Because we want this relationship to work. Isn't that what this whole Christmas thing is about anyhow? Isn't it about God coming and restoring a new relationship with all creation? Isn't it about God coming and restoring relationship once again with the people of Israel? The larger people of Israel called church? Isn't it about, my beloved, where all of us turn from our old ways of relating to culture and to each other and begin afresh? Church, as you and I prepare for Christmas Day, we will be about preparing to reestablish relationship with the Lord God, His Messiah, with Jesus. But as we prepare for His coming, we have work to do amongst ourselves, don't we? We are to learn what it means to live together in peacefulness. Not just as a nation, as a world, but as a church. We're to learn what it means to live together in peace amongst ourselves so that we can live that peacefulness in the presence of the Messiah. And then this leads me back to a singular penetrating question for you today on the second Sunday of Advent. And it has to do with relationship. Who do you Who do I need to restore relationship with? With whom do we need to reconcile with and restore a broken relationship? God is a given. Let's make it even more hard. Who do you need to restore broken relationship with is it a parent maybe it's a sibling there's been a falling out is it a child is it a minister a priest teacher professor a boss an employee Who, beloved, who are you and I called to reconcile with in our life today? You see, for some of you, it will require a crucial conversation with somebody over coffee or a difficult phone call with someone with whom you are are estranged from. 
and don't speak too often. For others of you, it may mean your preparations are going to be colored with humility. As you realize you have to say either, I'm sorry to someone, or perhaps even the most difficult thing is to say, I forgive you to somebody. Who do you, do I, need to restore and reconcile with? Friends, as we prepare to hear this call of getting ready, it means working together. It means forgiving one another. It means forgetting the past. Turn our faces facing forward and march together. For you see, beloved, it's simple as this. If you and I, if we in the church cannot restore relationship among ourselves, how do we expect to prepare for a restored, renewed revitalized relationship with God whose very character is built on love and relationship. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, beloved. The biggest preparation, I would say, is restoring relationship to God and one another, and all of God's people say, Amen. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, thank you for this day, this time, that we can come and honor and worship you to acknowledge our brokenness, to acknowledge our need. Lord, if we weren't such a rebellious people, in spirit and in mind and in action, you wouldn't have had to send us into exile. Lord, we just can't help ourselves. We do that which we don't want to do and don't do that which we should. Lord, in this time of preparation in Advent, help us to prepare by reestablishing relationship with you and with those in our lives that we need to bring healing. But we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 